Broadcasting from Little Hampton, UK, this is the Man Up Podcast. From Sorted Magazine, official sponsor, staggerversary.co.uk. Loading in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Steve Legg on the Sorted Magazine Man Up Podcast. It's great to have you with us again. Today's blockbuster features Wren Collective frontman Gareth Gilkerson, presenter, broadcaster and journalist Jeremy Vine, and snooker sensation, yes, it's the rocket, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Hi, this is Lieutenant Colombo, and you are listening to the Man Up Podcast, the most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough for today. I'll let you go on and listen. Oh, oh, and just one more thing. Enjoy the show. Jeremy Vine loves music, but he's also a journalist, and there aren't that many shows that do music and news. In fact, there's only one, and happily, Jeremy presents it. Previously, he'd been presenter of Newsnight, political correspondent at Westminster, report on the Today programme, and Africa correspondent based in Johannesburg. He is also one of only four presenters in the history of Panorama, the world's oldest current affairs programme. Fifteen years ago, Jeremy took over the prestigious Radio 2 news and music slot Sir Jimmy Young had occupied illustriously for 29 years. He's also a sorted reader, so he's our sort of guy. Steve Legg brings you the best podcast every single month. It's so great. He's a great guy. No one knows more about great podcasts than me. The features, the interviews, even the adverts. It's a great show. Fantastic. Enjoy the show. Jeremy, tell us about early memories and growing up in Cheam. I was very, very lucky because I went to Epsom College. And um, I think a teacher stood up once and he said, I want you boys to understand how lucky you are because I don't think you know. And then he said only 6% of people go to private school. I had never realized that, Mm -hmm. you know. And I was probably about 14, 15 at the time. So... That's one memory of that school and, and how amazing it was. I went back there recently for a memorial to a brilliant English teacher called Neil Lang. And um, I thought, God, this is stunning, this place. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's like a kind of a campus almost. Mm. So there's that. There's a lot of Cheam Village in my memories because that little crossroads, in, I don't know if you know it, but Cheam, Cheam Village has a sort of crossroads at the centre. It used to be very villagey. Okay. pub called The Red Lion. Uh, a shop called Ear Friend, which is closed now, but it was selling records oh, joyfully. Okay. Yeah. Of course, that n- would no longer be there. Now mm. selling kitchens. I don't think Cheam will ever be cool, but I've, I've got a great <laughs> soft spot for it, I must say. It's funny, because when you're young, you, you sort of you rebel against the quietness, and when you're older, you look for the quietness. I mean, I do think we are in an amazing country, and it's such a complex and interesting fabric. When you consider that, with my daughters, when they say, which country are we in, I can give them several different answers. I mean, I could say the UK, I could say Great Britain, and lots of people have no idea what the difference between the UK and Great Britain is. Um, I could say England. Um, If we go up to Scotland, we're then in in Scotland, but we're not Scottish, and they've got their own government, and to what extent can that overwrite Westminster? And so it's so complicated. I mean, I don't think there could be any country in the world with as complicated an identity as the UK. If I went, I don't know if I went to China and started settled there, whether I'd become Chinese, I'm not sure. It's quite an interesting question. But if you're a Chinese person, you come to to Britain, you do become British, and that's interesting too. Um, so I think that's why I'm, I love politics. And I do think um, the thing that I always notice about politics as a reporter is that it's human drama. So 
if you're the health correspondent, you do a lot of stats about the health service, and if you're the sports correspondent, you do a lot of stats about Manchester United. But if you're the political correspondent, you're doing basically one person wants another person's job. You know, that's essentially what it's about. And it's this constant battle. And even in the last election in 2017, you know, why does Theresa May not fail to win that election? Why did they lose their majority? It's a really interesting question. It's still not really very clear, you know. Only three weeks before, they'd had local elections, and they basically swept swept the House. So uh, it's full of surprises. That's the answer. Mm, And as you know, as a journalist, you know, the unexpected and surprises are what's at the heart of it. Is it hard to be impartial sometimes? I think people misunderstand the whole impartiality thing. It's, it's, it doesn't mean you don't have any values. And I, no, uh, so it's, it's, you know, I think the thing that links us through our own humanity are some sort of values that we can't even, they're not even very easy to, to pin down. You know, if I say I'm in favor of life, then people say, oh, what, are you against abortion or something? I wouldn't even want to say even the basic values. Mm. Um, but there's something that connects us all which is something about sharing, you know, breathing the same air on this planet at this time in human history. Probably no more than that. Um, and and I, I don't think I've ever had to say anything that I feel I've disagreed with. I suppose I've had to be balanced sometimes on stories where I don't think there's another side to them. Yeah. But I think, for me, the very small price to pay for the best job in the world is to not have you know, put your own views out, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing I get into, let me just think whether there's, there's, I can't, I can't think of an issue recently where I've had a view I've had to stop myself saying. Um, but no, with the listeners, I think you work on the principle that the listener's always right, you know. Yeah. Um, the customer is king, the listener's always right. Unless they say there are eight days in a week, in which case I'd have to say, I'm, you know, we're not impartial on that. Mm. We're not impartial on uh, whether the earth is flat Um, and I mention that because while I was in Scotland on holiday I saw that Inverness police are seeking somebody who's been spraying the words the earth is flat on lots of road signs and I'm thinking we're going back to basics with some of this stuff so the facts are sacred you know you know academics and others say that this idea has caught on that everything is a matter of opinion Mm. So, you know, an academic wrote an article where one of his students said you know, it's it's my opinion that uh, the Second World War started in 1952, you know, and the academics said, well, it's not a matter of opinion. We know it started in 1939. So why would you say that, you know? And this is, this is all part of this strange world where we decided to unlatch ourselves from expertise. Well, there's a lot of what they call polemics, you know, mm. you know, very strongly argued stuff around news. So you find that every fact comes freighted with someone's opinion. But where I work at the BBC, I notice that impartiality is taken more seriously than ever because I think they realise that they've got, it's really quite a special quality in this crazy world. The internet's like the Wild West, you know, I mean, uh, something comes out and everyone suddenly jumps on it and they use it for their own agendas. Mm -hmm. And the agendas sometimes just disguise the the facts. And finally, does the job still excite you? Politics to many of us sounds incredibly boring. Are there lots of surprises still? The moment on the Brexit referendum night when um, everyone was talking as if Remain had won and Nigel Farage had even said that they'd cancel their victory party and then we got the results from Newcastle and Sunderland Mm -hmm. and they were more pro-Brexit than our little graphic suggested so we suddenly thought game on that's probably the most biggest and most exciting moment and then I'm 30 feet from David Dimbleby when he says that's it we're out at four in the morning very very unusual to have a moment like that 
uh, strangely kind of South African moment probably of just going and doing a story and I, I wrote a, the book I wrote four years ago had this story in but I'll just summarise um, I was sent to do this story about Winnie Mandela being on the campaign trail with Nelson Mandela and they were going to meet each other and it obviously wasn't going to happen and I went anyway and I ended up in this remote vegetable patch with this village chief the village chief of Umtata U-M-T-T-A-T-A uh, whose name was Nicholas and I said uh, what's, what's going on I, 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 I had this piece of paper that says that Winnie Mandela is coming to speak here and Nelson Mandela is going to speak at the same time and, and he just said I, I cannot be offended because nothing has happened and I thought oh that's cosmic truth it's absolutely amazing mm-hmm. you know um, so that and I guess probably going back to the very first day walking into the BBC and thinking this place is completely uh, amazing mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. Um, seeing Robin Day in reception in the latest bumper edition of Sorted magazine big name exclusive interviews Hollywood A-listers TV adventurer Bear Grylls inspirational true life stories adrenaline fueled sports features all this plus gadgets entertainment motoring movies and technology plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com Sorted for men, for life. Up next is the band leader of Wren Collective, a Christian band from the coastal town of Bangor in Northern Ireland. The band now are largely based in the US and have had a massive global reach for their music over the last few years. When whiling away the days, months and years of the Shawshank State Penitentiary, I love nothing more than to listen to the Sordid Man Up podcast. Fear can hold you captive. Man Up can set you free. Gareth, thanks for joining us. Tell us about how the band was formed. The band was formed, actually, first of all, in a community. We um, started in 2002 as a, a gathering called Rand, which I pastored and Chris uh, led worship at. And it was very much focused on community, authenticity, just trying to create a space for people in their 20s and 30s who we had noticed were leaving church um, and we wanted to, I guess, have a place where they uh, could experience God in a way that made sense to them. So that's where Ren came out of. We actually didn't write any of our own songs for seven years. And then after about seven years, we uh, started writing our own stuff, which is kind of kind of crazy, but kind of fun to think that our focus was um, community in the kingdom of God before it was um, art, I think. In the church, ministry and art need to go hand in hand. And uh, it's uh, it's been a real crazy ride we never imagined, actually, touring the world. Just being a worship band leading everywhere, we feel so privileged, but it still blows our mind sometimes. I've been speaking and performing at your church, Bangor Elim, for nearly 30 years. It's an amazing place with fabulous people. Have they been cheering you on from the beginning? Yes, uh, Bangor Elim is where... Rand started. We were in the sports hall there. How much has their support and encouragement meant to you? It's amazing. We go back every year and do a hometown gig at the church and they've been right behind us. Uh, I think this year we did four nights in a row, but they've just been so supportive and a big part of what we do. So we love them. What was the big break for Rand? The thing that really, uh, I guess, opened the doors and, and I have to remember that, you know, doors don't open overnight. All of us have dreams in our hearts, um, but it takes years. 
I remember praying and praying and praying, and it was probably 10 years before what I felt like God had put in my heart had actually, you know, come to fruition. But um, Martin Smith of Delirious heard our album. I mean, I don't know how, because I think only our mums had heard it. And then he played it to Chris Tomlin, and Chris Tomlin invited us on a tour in the U.S. And then, uh, you know, Martin helped us with... Uh, shows and and leading worship in churches in the uk so that was really the big moment for us of, of breakthrough traveling the world in a tour bus sounds pretty glamorous but what is it really like and yeah traveling a, a, the world in a tour bus sounds glamorous but it's not glamorous at all i mean you've got a lot of sweaty bodies in the small tiny tin can uh, we also have three kids on the road. Chris has this little baby. You know, it's just mental, but it's uh, it's community. It's probably like traveling gypsies, but it's uh, it, it's close quarters. Um, but there's there's something about that that just uh, moves you past being friendly to people and actually being family. Talk us through a typical day on the road. A typical day on the road, you know, is probably waking up at 6am with the kids and the bus still driving at 70 miles an hour to get you to the next place and uh, you get up and you watch some <laughs> kids TV shows and try and put in some Rice Krispies into their mouths and then once we've done that uh, you, we do have a lot of the day um, to uh, prepare or to have family time uh, because we have a, a team with us our uh, crew will go out and set things up and they're amazing. Uh, and so we'll, we'll do some school with the kids. We'll maybe go to a coffee shop. We'll maybe go play somewhere, find a park, find a swimming pool. Uh, then we'll do interviews in the local place, meet local uh, church leaders. Um, and then, yeah, play the concert and, uh, <laughs> then be very tired, come back and eat some junk food and then go to sleep. That's kind of what a typical day is. Solid Man Up Podcast. These guys are great. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. However, not as good as America will be when I am done with it. We'll be back with Gareth in a tick, but here's a little snippet of a conversation we had with one of the greatest snooker players of all time, the legend that's Ronnie O'Sullivan. The full feature is appearing in the next Sorted, so please do subscribe. You don't want to miss this. Sortedmag.com, £21 a year with a direct debit. But enough of the advertising. So here's a snippet from our time on the phone with a legend. And we asked Ronnie how he approached exercise these days. Physical activity is something that's very important to me. It's one of my values in life. I, I try to do because I believe that, you know, a healthier body, a healthier mind leads you, you know, to live a, a, a much better longer, healthier life. You know, I want to be at 78 years of age. I want to be fit as a fiddle. If I'm not doing nothing about it now, then there's not really much chance of me being in good shape when I'm 80. So what you do today affects you tomorrow sort of thing. So, you know, it's, I don't train like I used to. You know, I used to be a real animal uh, for, for long distance running. Now I just do it as, as, as a keep fit. I can still run 5K in, in 18, 19 minutes, which is pretty decent, not great, but it's, it's okay. And, I, I kind of implement a lot of physical, you know, uh, physical activity in my daily life and, and trying to eat well. So, you know, it's just about trying to be the best you can be and, you know, um, you know, and, and, and but, but making it fun as well. I just think I've just got a massive drive and once that energy's channeled into something, I'm like a dog with a bone. I, I won't let go and I just, and, I, and, and, and completion is everything for me. So as long as I'm sort of, uh, got the flavour for something, 
I, I always give it 120%, and I think that's what's kind of made, you know, all these things I'm doing outside of snooker. That's why people enjoy working with me, because they're like, you know what, this guy, how does he find the time? What, how is he giving us these commitments and his time? And I'm like, listen, you've, in, you've invested in me, I'm investing in you, I like you, and hopefully you like me. Let's make it the best relationship and the best job we can do. You know, I've got a couple of other friends that are like that. They've got so much energy. And a lot of people say it's hard to keep up with them. But, you know, as long as you've got a team of people, I'm, I'm, I mean, I give, you know, I can give certain individuals a rest for a bit and go, well, look, I'll drop you out for a week, get yourself sorted, but I'll be back on you. So it's just about, you know, I just have this massive drive. I feel that in some people, but there's very few that have that drive and commitment to make them fantastic. You know, I see a lot of sports people, and I look at them, I just think you're weak. You know, you haven't got the strength of character to be the best at what you can be. Um, and, I'm, and that's not a criticism. It's only, the, it's only the, you know, there's very few that can dominate and be the best at what they do. Phil Taylor, Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, Nadal, Schumacher, Ayrton Senna. I mean, I'm talking about the elite, um, but not everybody can be like that, you know. Um, and then you have a lot of other good sportsmen, but they're not, you know, they're either good on the eye, but they haven't got the balls to, to be over a period of 25, 30 years. To be a great, great, an all-time great, you have to do it over a long period of time. These guys that come along, do it for a year, two years, get themselves a five-year contract, but then you don't hear from them. I just think, mate, you ain't got it, mate. You're weak. Anyone that could have the success and stay at the top, they would, but it's not that easy. So that's a great barometer to see if someone's got it or not, you know. Healthy friendships are important. Friends who listen, laugh, challenge and offer sound counsel who has time for that we do why not have a stagiversary unite both old and new friends over a day weekend or even longer but this time round you set the agenda at stagiversary we believe in fun and adventure but most of all helping you to create space to rest refuel and reconnect with the important people in your life what are you waiting for Visit staggiversary.co.uk, inquire within, and let us do the rest. We're still with Gareth Gilkerson of Ring Collective. Gareth, you travel with your wife and children and other bandmates. How did band life change when kids came along? Uh, life on the road did change a lot when the kids came along, mostly because it used to be uh, very simple. You could just do whatever you want. <laughs> when you wanted within the confines of touring of course but uh it it's become i think it's been healthy for the band to have kids because it makes you feel still connected with life rather than disconnected and this sort of like weird person living a weird lifestyle that is kind of unusual you feel like you're still having normal life is it hard raising children on the road what's the biggest struggle you found yeah, it's 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 been difficult. I, I certainly wasn't up three times a night trying to pace up and down a, a moving bus to try and put a baby back to bed. <laughs> um, but yeah, the kids love it. It's they're all very socially developed because they're with adults a lot, and uh, <laughs> they you know it takes a village to raise a child. It really does, and it's amazing to see that happen on the road. Are there certain home comforts you take with you to make the experience more pleasurable? We, uh, the home comforts that we like to bring on the road with us, no matter where we are, if we're, uh, you know, flying somewhere to a different country or if we're traveling on a bus or, you know, uh, we have one of those hand grinders so you can grind your own coffee beans, uh, and an AeroPress so you can make your coffee anywhere you want. We always have, um, 
good old Northern Irish tea bags with us and Nambari or something like that. And uh, we, you know, sneak in some chocolate. You, you never know where you're going to be and you can't really trust the chocolate. <laughs> What's the biggest lesson you've learned over the years? The biggest lesson we've learned probably is that relationships are more important than, than music or anything, that if you haven't got that right, there's just no point in doing it. Um, conflict isn't a bad thing. Conflict is healthy if it's done with humility. Tell us about your new album, Good News. We've got a new record coming out called Good News. We're very excited about it. Um, basically, there's so much bad news in the world right now that we felt like we needed to still proclaim the good news of Jesus, not to diminish the difficulties and the struggles that we as a human race are going through right now, but to remind the world that there is good news, that good news is Jesus. And uh, this is our favorite record we've ever made because... Uh, we we just have tried to do everything. We've written real deep hymns and we've written lamentations because uh, there's none of those really in our normal church service. And uh, we wanted even to proclaim good news for those who are struggling. Uh, we've written, you know, upbeat songs. And uh, we took two and a half years and we really prayed and thought about this seriously. So we're excited. If we're honest, TV, newspapers and the internet are full of bad news. How important is this message of good news to the world we're currently living in? The good news really is something that uh, we need to proclaim. It's important for the church right now more than ever, with media really focusing on the bad news. It's important for the church more now than ever to proclaim the true gospel. Gospel actually isn't a religious word. Gospel just means good news. And we as a church need to carry the gospel of Jesus. What's your hope for the new project? I really hope that this new project will um, be an encouragement to people through difficult times. Uh, it will be, uh, you know, something that will uh, just encourage the church that worship songs with depth and truth and meaning. Are Belfast and Dublin still your favourite places to play? Yes, they are our favourite place to play. Uh, you know, we very much have a weird... Uh, identity crisis being Northern Irish. Uh, are we Irish? Are we British? Are we Northern Irish? And I guess the answer is yes to all three. Um, we're playing in Belfast uh, in the biggest uh, uh, arena this May. Cannot wait. It's going to be the concert of our lives. We've already sold 5,000 tickets. Can't believe the support of people at home. So excited. And then the next night we go down to Dublin and we're playing in a club down there. I'm very excited about that too. It, it's almost like uh, being able to play in both capitals is just, it means so much to us. Gareth, thanks ever so much for your time. What are you most looking forward to this year? What we're really looking forward to is this whole Good News Tour. We're going to do 45 dates in the US. We're doing over 20 dates in the UK and Ireland. We'll be playing in London in the Shepherd's Bush, which is exciting, Glasgow, Manchester. We're doing the big church night in tour starting uh, in February. Then later on this year, we'll be going to Europe. And I think that's just really exciting too. Germany and uh, Holland. And it will be going over to um, lots of different places in Eastern Europe and different countries there. It's going to be a blast. We're just so privileged at what God has put uh, on our hearts and what he has done with us. It, you know, really there is such 
an important time for us as a church to be prophetically proclaiming good news. And, and we're excited to be a part of that and uh, to be pro- proclaiming good news in, uh, in many different countries this year. Uh, we really do ask for your prayers and um, we thank you for just supporting us. Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone and I play it tough. You're listening to the Sword of Man Up podcast. This is what we do. Well, that's about it for now. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. It was certainly our VIP edition. Until next time, this is Steve Legg and friends on the Sorted Man Up podcast. Do encourage your mates to subscribe and download and share on Facebook and Twitter. Help us get the word out. See ya. That was the Man Up podcast. They'll be back. You've been listening to the Man Up podcast from Sorted Magazine. Recorded, edited, and delivered by flagshiprecording.com.